Heads up, there's cussing in this podcast. Ah, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Hello and welcome to the PubHound Podcast. I'm Drew Whitehead and we are coming to you from the offices of PubHound Press in Joplin, Missouri. Uh, what's up, Rich? Uh, not much. I just got off work, so I'm still a little dazed. <laughs> But it was a slow night. You're so. pouring some beer into your face. Yeah, so everything is great because yeah. I'm going to get stupid. <laughs> well, hopefully not too stupid before we finish our discussion tonight because... No promises. We, uh, and anybody who's listened to our previous episodes knows that, I mean, I'm. it's going to be stupid. That's what all the comments <laughs> say. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that asshole? <laughs> it was actually me. It was, it was just me the whole time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, enough about that. Uh, we have tonight a special guest. Uh, Michael Howarth is here to talk about his novel, Fairweather Ninjas. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Excellent. We're glad to have you. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, excited about tonight's episode. We also have Luke from Frosted Cakery. Thanks for coming, Luke. You bet. And Thanks you, for having me. You can pour my next drink. I will do it. All right. Uh, so, Rich, what you been up to lately? Nothing. Very little. I don't know. Work. Work things. That's about it. So not working on any new projects or um, reading anything interesting? Or? <clears throat> I mean, I'm I'm ashamed to admit I'm still trying to wrap my 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 head around uh, that that commission. It's so I, that's uh, still a thing. That's still a thing. Well, it, maybe it's still a thing. He may have pulled it off the table, but I mean, it's still a thing for me. It's getting in the way of me working on other things. So because I can't figure out what to do. I told a, a friend of mine, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Holt, uh, a poet from Texas, and and he uh, he referred to to this guy's uh, request. Well, he referred to this guy as a, a poetry saboteur, <laughs> which makes me feel better that you know telling him. He's like, no, this guy's a fuckhole. <laughs> Not that you're a fuckhole, whoever you are um, but it's you know it's I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around writing a poem for somebody who ostensibly doesn't suffer it's it's weird um, well you know he didn't he he said I don't know what to ask for because I never suffered and that's just a weird thing to to say to somebody maybe he's just not um, self-aware enough to understand what suffering is yeah yeah because we all all suffer in our own way clearly he's never been in Nebraska <laughs> Um, Other than that, uh, a couple epigrams here and there, and yeah, that's about it. What have you been been up to? Uh, Well, I kind of have a similar story, except that I don't have a project to preoccupy me, Uh, but I started a new job a couple months ago, so it's sort of been... uh, It takes a while to settle in. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm getting there now, Uh, but that first... The first six weeks or so was definitely like, and now it's the holidays, so I feel like I don't have any time for other reasons. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah and the goddamn holidays. Everybody just wants a piece of you. It's horrible. <laughs> Especially if you own a bakery. <laughs> mm. Do they ever? Yeah. Uh, so call Luke in January, and you can get your order. Twenty eighteen looks good. It looks really good <laughs> for your next order with us. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I mean, I guess if, I guess we don't have very much to talk about in terms of writing. Yeah, we're pretty brilliant right, people right now, but we're not particularly prolific. But so. hey, you know, by the time you hear this, it's going to be almost 2018. It may be 2018, really. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably be working on stuff by then. Madly. Yeah, we'll That's be, the story. If, I'm if nothing to. else, we'll be gearing up for. Um, <laughs> and this is a good plug for Spiva. If nothing else, we'll be gearing up. Hopefully, a thousand words. Yeah, for the thousand words. Once. Uh, Photo Spy that comes up uh, every year in April, towards the end of the exhibit, they hold a reading uh, for poetry and prose that and music. They've had people write music. It was really cool, uh, inspired by the photos that are a part of the competition. It's always a great event, always a lot of fun. By the time we get to that, we'll be in the midst of National Poetry Month, which is almost like uh, a, let's not talk about that holiday. I, that's the <laughs> one month a year I fucking hate poetry. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. All right. Okay. I'm well, salty tonight. That's 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 enough I, of of that discussion, I guess, mm-hmm. for now. Let's uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we're gonna talk to 
Howie, Mr. Howard. Frosted Cakery makes hilarious Facebook videos and awesome from scratch desserts at 124 South Main in Joplin, Missouri. They're open for retail sales every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Custom orders can be placed on their website, frostedjoplin.com, or by phone at 918-504-3245. Perfect. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. We are, uh, well, I'm Drew. Rich is here. Luke from Frosted Cakery is here, and he's busy as hell, so he's taking a break with us tonight. And uh, Michael Howarth is here. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to call you Howie from here on out. I I think I already did, but... (laughs) Excessively. Yeah. Now. So if anyone is confused... Now established. Michael and Howie are the same person, Mm -hmm. because precisely what... Two people, your mom and dad, call you yeah. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. What about your wife? Does she call you Michael like when she's really no. mad? No. 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 She's just, when she's really mad, she just points. <laughs> Yikes. Then I, then I know I'm No, I, I got it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, then I get that, like the mom look, too. I get that like full body shiver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you done something wrong. Mm-hmm. All right, time to buy some flowers. <laughs> So, uh, so we're here to talk about your novel, Fairweather Ninjas, which I, I finished it earlier today. It's hilarious. Well, thank you. It's also it really It's heavy. also very, uh, yeah, it, it was more emotionally intense than I was expecting. Like, it's pretty heavy. Um, it is an emotional roller coaster, which is uh, a good thing, obviously. That it's, was what I wanted. Yeah. Well, you succeeded, sir. <laughs> well, thank um, you. I wanted a, a book that was a, a pretty... Uh, good mix of humor and pathos, yeah. you know, because I, I feel like that's kind of what life is like. You know, there's, it's funny, it's sad, there's good times, there's bad times. Uh, so I, I wanted the book to reflect that, that there are difficulties and then there are also fun moments that help you move past some of those tough choices. It is a young adult novel. Um, <clears throat> yes. Maybe emphasis on, you know, some of the adult. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, probably aims for your audience is maybe around... Uh, definitely young adult, but you know, covers teen and then yeah, I, I would say high and, school and on up. Yeah, um, it's definitely not. I teach children's literature, but as I, I like to tell my friends who say, "Can I buy this for my nine-year-old?" I say, "No, you cannot," <laughs> um, because yes, young adult literature it has some sexual situations and it has some <laughs> strong language in it, <clears throat> so it is only for high school students on up. I, it's PG thirteen. <laughs> at least, at least, it, yeah, at least, <laughs> at least. It is not a uh, tuck your kids into bed story. I'd say like PG sixteen, <laughs> maybe PG sixteen. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. about around there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you also teach uh, young adult literature as well as children's literature. So what what sort of uh, drew you to to that line of study, and then also for your writing, what draws you to to work within that genre? Well, I, I have my MFA in creative writing fiction from University of Alaska, Anchorage, and when I went to get my PhD, I originally started off um, pursuing a a PhD in creative writing, Mm -hmm. and then I very quickly realized that that really wasn't that much of a benefit for me since I already had a terminal degree in creative writing. There was no point in really having a second one as well, and I had taken a couple of children's literature classes at the time, and I loved them. I thought they were great. I enjoyed talking about them. I enjoyed everything I read. And most importantly, I really liked the criticism. Because when you take other subjects, sometimes you read the criticism and it's dense and boring and pedantic. Yeah. And it's really a tough trial to get through. And when I was reading criticism for children's literature, I just, I loved it. Um, I thought it was interesting. I could understand it. I was making more connections. And so I thought, you know, this is something I think I want to pursue. And I ended up getting my, um, you know, my PhD in children's literature as a specialty. Excellent. Yeah. And then I've been teaching at Missouri Southern since uh, 2008. So do you, do you find, um, like, writing for young adults to be particularly challenging? Like, to me, I would find it challenging because even though I was once a young adult, like, I'm in a completely different mindset now. And I have a hard time sort of wrapping my mind around how one would 
would write for that mindset. Yeah, it is difficult, partly because, you know, every generation is different. Yeah. You, know, you have Gen X and then the millennials. And so, um, especially with the advent of technology, it's sort of changing how we view adolescence uh, and even childhood to a degree. So uh, the first thing you have to think about is, you know, what are the common themes and conflicts that children are going through that children have always gone through. And, you know, that's separation from parents and peer pressure and establishing your independence and uh, trying to earn money on your own, uh, you know. So you start with that and then kind of try to find a story that is more original that you think hasn't been told before or at least hasn't been told um, in the same way that you want to tell it. So to that point, what... What about what made you want to write this particular story? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned that you uh, switched sort of gears in what you were studying, but I know that this particular story, at least, you know, from the uh, your um, uh, section where you give thanks. See, well, yeah, I'm already drunk and my stupid. You mentioned that you were yeah. working. You had this character around. Mm -hmm back when you were at the University of Alaska. Yeah, this uh, my my mentor at the time, Joanne Mapson, who, if I can make a plug, is a great writer. Um, she's written several best-selling books and taught me everything I know about writing. She uh, was teaching a class, and one of her assignments was to go out and observe a teenager and, and write a, a short sort of portrait of, of that teenager. And I did the assignment, and I wasn't happy with anything that I, that I wrote. I just didn't think it sounded that interesting enough. And coincidentally, around that same time, a friend of mine from college emailed me, and in his email he made a joke about a ninja. And I thought, man, it wouldn't be really interesting if there was this high school student who thought he was a ninja. <laughs> and, then I, and then I put it together, and I wrote the very first short story I wrote was the college application. Oh, that's great. Chapter. <laughs> and I turned it into my assignment, and my teacher really liked it. She said, you should write some more of this. So I ended up writing a, a bunch more short stories. And then when I went to University of Louisiana and I said, she said, you need to turn this into a book, that's when I sat down and really outlined the whole thing and ended up putting it into a, a novel, you know. And, and most of what I originally wrote isn't in here, really. I mean, the application yeah. chapters, but it's completely revised and changed. Um, and then there's a bunch of other stuff, uh, stuff that didn't even make it in because you know my original draft of the novel was probably uh, about 460 pages on the computer yeah nice <clears throat> and right now in this form it's about uh, 270 so uh, you know when you write there's a babies. lot of crap yeah. there's also a lot of crap there weren't babies they were they were mutations <laughs> they were that, crap babies yeah <laughs> that, that needed to be cut but sometimes you gotta and a lot of it was backstory it was stuff I didn't need you know, so you write it. Usually, what happens is you, you tend to write a chapter, and then you write the second chapter, and then when you go back to look over the manuscript, you realize you really can start with the second chapter. You don't always need that first one. And so, what I found was a lot of the stuff I had written earlier in the novel was actually more backstory. And what I whatever was in there that I really liked, I ended up pulling out, and I ended up integrating it throughout the text. Because since this book deals with the past being a heavy influence. Yeah it worked very well that I could keep going back to some of these flashbacks throughout the novel. Because there's a problem. Originally, the first chapter was called 12 Moments in the Life of a Ninja. And it was about 12 moments through his childhood that he thought influenced him in where he was. But the problem was you're taking 50 pages just to get to yeah. the present story. Yeah. There's, a, pro there's a problem with that. Yeah. And also kind of ties in uh, with, you know, sort of the, the PTSD that he's going through, too. Exactly. Know, constantly reliving these traumatic yeah. events. And, and I yeah. thought the novel worked better starting on the first day of school. It's yeah. a new beginning. It's a new year. It's the beginning of the novel. It just it just fit better. Well, it, it may, I, I mean, it makes a ton of sense to have to integrate the the memories instead of focusing on the memories separately because, because of the nature of the character. Like, he, yeah. his life is dominated by those memories yeah so so yeah that that was effective definitely because he's constantly that's like almost <clears throat> every page yeah he mentions his father yeah he, he and lived. it's like it's like for what there was there was a section of the book where i kind of almost got tired of it but but it's like well i mean this that is mm. the character so i mean yeah. if i were that kid that's probably how uh, yeah, i wouldn't be able to go five it. minutes yeah. without thinking about it yeah he, he dwells so much on the past that he can't focus on the future right or he's trying to focus on the future but it's really not his yeah. yeah, you know, and that's yeah. that's kind of one of the sad, poignant parts of the book. I think is it's funny, but it's also tragic. Yeah, 
And I think sometimes we forget how much those two are in intertwined. Intertwined. Yeah. That's how we deal with with that shit too, is through humor. <laughs> By making so, jokes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So sometimes it's only through humor that you get to see the tragedy. Yeah. Because yeah. it sort of brings it to light even more. Because you laugh and then you, maybe you feel uncomfortable laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Like that, like that. <laughs> so I, I've I've never written a novel, mm-hmm. and I've never I've never been been very good at, at doing fiction, because Amen. I yeah, I revise, too. you know, like. Every, so are you sick of Timothy Dimmick yet? <laughs> I'm not actually. I'm not. I, I, have was, a, I have a soft spot in my heart yeah. for him because he's he's you know he gave me a lot. It was my first novel. I spent a lot of years with him. But I was ready to finish a story and then move on. So, are you working yeah. on anything else right now? I actually have, have two. Man- I actually have two manuscripts uh, that are completed. Oh, nice. That I'm, I'm in the process of sending out. One is a young adult novel. It's historical gothic. So it's I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, the story of Elizabeth Bathory. She, Not she's at all. she's no. infamous. She's one, she's one of the. Uh, uh, the world's most famous serial killers. She was a Hungarian countess uh, who lived in the late 1500s, early 1600s. Uh, and this is a true story. And she was terrified of growing old. And so what she did was she basically murdered uh, her servants and peasant girls from neighboring villages. And she would bathe in their blood because she believed that their oh, blood <coughs> kept yeah. her looking young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Wait, her name was Bathory? Elizabeth yeah. Bathory, yeah. yeah. That's... B-A-T-H-O-R-Y. And um, and so she yeah. was eventually she. They estimated that she murdered over six hundred women Holy over a ten year span, and eventually. How her skin look though? Beautiful. I mean, beautiful. <laughs> I mean, this you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, That's all I'm saying. Yeah, Noxima had nothing on her. Yeah. And okay. um, lovely. So I've always been fascinated by that by that story because on a one level it's about a fear we all have about growing older and dying and losing this power and control. Mm-hmm. As you get older, so the the book I wrote is a young adult novel um, th- that takes pl- it's the point of view of one of the young girls who goes to work in her castle and starts to suspect that things are not quite what they seem, and so it, it's suspenseful. It goes from there. Yeah. Well, we know we know a, a, a publishing company. If, <laughs> okay. If you run right. out of options, if the if the big dogs okay. fall through, and that, that one yeah, exactly. um, that one right now is titled "A Still an Awful Red." A, sti- a, a still, a still, an awful red. red. Okay, um, that's the title. And then the other book that I, I wor- I'm working on that I just finished, describing a bathtub full of blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is a um, nonfiction collection of personal essays. Okay, excellent. That's basically about me turning forty. When I turned forty, I thought, you know what, I need to put together a collection of essays because forty really was not a happy time for me. I was like, oh, man, I'm 40. This sucks. So so anyway, I put together this book that sort of reflects, and I talk about periods of my life, and, and it, it's humorous essays. So, um, you know, I have an essay in there about, you know, wanting to be James Bond. I have an essay in there Haven't about... Haven't we all wanted that at some We point? all want that. Uh, I have an essay in there about working as an intern GTE for the summer and not doing a very good job, having a cyst removed from my head. Um... <laughs> You know, flying um, to a friend's wedding while I was, you know, drunk and high at the airport. Um, my inability to do housework. So I just have all these different essays that sort of expose my limitations a little. Um, and the title of that collection is uh, Narcissism is an Easy Life. It comes naturally to some of us. Yeah. And that, that's actually... Why are you looking James, at me? That's from the James Bond essay. So that's James Bond, not me. So um, I have an essay about Vegas called luxury is exhausting so you know i've been working on some stuff but it's hard when you teach you know you don't have a lot of time to write you know my, basically uh, I, I look forward to winter break summer you know maybe spring break where i have you know a pretty good chunk of time to, to sit down and so write. you sort of hunker down and yeah because you know when i write i try to write for six or seven hours at a time so usually i get up and i have a cup of coffee and i i'm in my office by eight and i try to work until maybe maybe noon or one if i can that's a long stretch. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's much longer than yeah. anything I could ever. You feel like you have to like cleanse the, like the you know utterings of your students out of your head. Like, <laughs> like you have like so much of their poor like writing in your head. Yeah, you, have- you know, I go in there, I turn on some music, I listen to you know maybe Frank Sinatra or yeah. something, some jazz, um, and I just and I just go for it. 
Yeah. And I just, and you know, and sometimes it's in four or five hours, I maybe only get two pages written, but, you know, and then no, sometimes sure. I only get three or four pages written. It depends if it's dialogue or a lot of description mm -hmm. or, you know, if I, you know, I edit as I go. So, yeah. but so I, it takes me a long time to finish one draft. But when I finish that draft, it's, it's pretty polished because I've been editing as I go along. So usually by the time I finish it, I only have to do one more read through. Oh man, I'm so the opposite. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I mean, some people are like that though. Some people just, they just write and they're like, and then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of times if I, I have to, I have to make myself leave it alone. You know, like this, this is a poem. It's complete. It's the way I want it. And now it is a, it is its own thing yeah. and I'm not going to touch it anymore. But in it, well, especially when I've gone to, when I've done narrative things, essays, what have you, it is, it never becomes its own thing. And that, and that's why I can't write fiction. You know, that's why I've had such a hard time doing anything longer than a poem. I like to say that an, uh, a story or even essay is never finished. It's just abandoned. Because no. you can keep writing and tweaking it forever. Yeah. And but yeah. sometimes when you do that too much, you actually make it worse. Like just, yeah, there sure. comes yeah. a there comes a point when you just you need to realize that you need to stop and you're done and you need need to move on to something. But I think the other part of it is knowing that you know when I look at say Fairweather Ninjas, you know if I wrote this book in five in five years, it'd be very different from what what it was when I wrote it at the time. So you have to look at it. It's, each book is not just a reflection of who you are as an author, but it's a reflection of maybe where you were at in your life at that time. So at this time in my life, this was the best book I could write with this character. And in a lot of ways, it reflects how young I was when I wrote it, which it should. But then as you get older, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm turning 40, and I was like, oh, I'm going to write a book about somebody, you know, a countess who's a little scared by getting old. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go bathe in blood, right? But, uh, you know, you can write about it. Your priorities shift, and a lot of times when they shift, um, they show they reveal themselves in your, in your writing. So, Well, we are in a, in a, a large, mostly empty building at night in a fairly uh, quiet part of town so i hope you're not playing are you telling in blood. <laughs> <laughs> you're not selling this right <laughs> well we're awesome. also probably not young enough yeah as I uh, say, uh, yeah he's not gonna get much yeah. uh, juice out of us. i forgot to years. mention that she only bathed in the blood of virgins <laughs> so yeah. so see we're good so. i assume i'm gonna take yeah. your word for it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where do we go next? What it, um, did you do? You think you want to read something, or we? Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy. To, I'll be happy to read. Okay, uh, a little excerpt from the book. Well, I think you know we've mostly been talking about um, you know, sort of the nuts and bolts. Like, I think it would be great to have you read so that people can hear what the novel's about and okay. kind of get some of that that feel for it. Okay. Well, I'll read an excerpt uh, from the middle of the book. <clears throat> which is when our character, Timothy Demick, is sitting at home on New Year's Eve, and he's writing a, a top ten list, which <clears throat> I know many of us attempt to do uh, every New Year's Eve, put together our, our top ten list and make resolutions of what we want to do for the new year, and then we disappoint ourselves by never fulfilling them. Most of us don't even get to number one on our list. <laughs> but um, I'm going to read his list, and it'll give a little bit of insight into his character, but also into some of the other characters in the novel and how they're important to him as well. Number one, my mother. Last year's ranking, number two. Remains distraught over my father's suicide almost 10 years ago, but finally grasps the importance of live family members after long sessions with her therapist. She's still coasting on that life insurance money my grandparents left her after they both had heart attacks at their first Pilates class, grandpa during and grandma after. Went back to work as an accountant because soap operas were depressing, which forced her to abandon her three cocktail hours every afternoon role. When I told her my New Year's resolution was to exercise more, she suggested I grab the kitchen floor and clean out the shed. Says she wants to change her image, which could be the onset of a midlife crisis. Look for her to be more open and understanding in 2014. Pro, actually let me drive her BMW, though all I did was back it out of the garage. Con, has started watching a makeover story on TLC. Number two, my father. Last year's ranking, number one. Slipped a notch since he pulled a no-show during the seance a few months ago. 
I thought he might be haunting the upstairs bathroom until my mother convinced me that all the bangs and moans might just be El Nino fucking with a Santa Ana wind. Nevertheless, Dad continues to get props for befriending ninjas in Iraq, even if no tape recording or photo documentation exists. His presence permeates the entire house, yet starting a conversation about him is as hard as mastering a sacred Tibetan chant. Still, anticipate my mother finally dusting off her photo albums and giving me a history lesson. Pro, he always did like spirits. Con, as long as he could drink them out of a bottle. Number three, Liz. <clears throat> Last year's ranking, number four. Got some press coverage after performing the Heimlich on that choking toddler in the supermarket. Still the most popular girl in school, especially now that she's lost her virginity to a blood-sucking freak. Has finally accepted her dyslexia as a congenital condition, but still transposes the numbers on her caller ID. When she informed me that Walt Disney was dyslexic, I told her his real name was Retlaw Yensid. <laughs> Liz insists she's interested in politics and humanity, but said the same thing about the environment and then he got fined for littering in the park. Look for her to run for student council so she can delegate and bitch at school like she does at home. Pro reluctantly loaned me five bucks so I could buy a used copy of Eric Von Lesbetter's classic novel, The Ninja. Khan doesn't even know where Romania is on a map. Number four, the Thai bow girl. Last year's ranking, number three. It's been over a year, but I still want to climb over the counter whenever she saunters into the video store. Her spandex outfit makes me yearn for the softcore Skinamax section, but instead I've started learning Thai bow during my 10-minute breaks. Last November, she thanked me for erasing five months' worth of late fees, and then she actually waved goodbye. Plus, she drives a Mazda, which means she understands the importance of Asian consumerism. Has a habit of not making eye-to-eye -eye contact, but her tangle of brunette hair looks sweaty, and those labored breaths drive me into a sexual frenzy. In the next year, look for her to finally introduce herself and then blush when I ask her to dinner. Pro has said, you're cute. Con, she wasn't talking to me. <laughs> number five, Uncle Jack. Last year's ranking, number five. Got extra respect for wearing a t-shirt to Thanksgiving dinner reading, I hump on a first date. Works in Boston as a cook at Magnolia's restaurant, but has yet to offer me a free meal. Says the spicy Cajun food gets him through the long, cold winters. As my mother's only brother, he earns the right to tease her about all that money she spent on Liz's plastic surgery. He's pretty much the only male figure in my life, but he's always blindsiding me with cheesy advice that insults my intelligence. Never fry bacon naked? He got into some legal trouble last year with that underage girl, but made a solid comeback with his best friend's wife. <laughs> Bonus, he hates a meal. Pro, he settled out of court. Con, she looked 18. Number six, win. Last year's ranking, number eight. Gained some ground after admitting that Fists of Fury is a pretty decent flick, especially the end scene when Bruce Lee delivers an awesome flying kick that knocks Suzuki out of the room. Though skeptical of the Asian persuasion, he almost convinced me that he'd seen a ninja in his backyard, but it turns out he was just tripping on acid. Still, his detailed description of how the ninja glided across his lawn and disappeared into the bushes was spot on. Despite the constant barrage of your mother jokes, he's actually quite sensitive. He understands my obsession with the Thai bow girl, but warns me that restraining orders can be a pain in the ass. Look for him to finish writing his screenplay sometime next summer, but continue working at the video store with a heightened sense of apathy. Pro just got his first raise. Khan, after two years. Number seven, Sadako Takano. Last year's ranking, unranked. My first Asian girlfriend, and still holds a special place in my heart, even if she did dump me over the internet. I'd hoped her silence was a result of an ill-fated accident involving a pair of chopsticks, but deep down, I knew she ate with a fork. I keep trying to chase down love, and I still have dating options, basically any woman who hasn't met me yet. But how can you ever really know someone? Although Sadako taught me that love is a harsh mistress, I know that someday I will find my special Kunichi, female ninja. Pro, supplied more whack-off material than a double issue of Asian babes. Con, I'm pretty sure I have carpal tunnel in my right hand. Number eight, the ninja. Last year's ranking, number nine. With the enormous popularity of feng shui, look for ninjas to appear in film and television, as well as music, poetry, and the occasional minimalist photo. The Iraq conflict continues to be a thorn in America's side, so anticipate Uncle Sam's use of the ninja as a covert spy, although any and all inquiries will be hushed up by the State Department. By summer, expect a ninja exhibit at the Guggenheim, a Shogun marathon on TNT, and a bumper sticker that says, Don't fuck with ninjas. More will follow, but be patient, Grasshopper. Be patient. Pro? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Khan, 
cheerleader ninjas. Number nine, me. Last year's ranking, number seven. Look for me to channel my energy more constructively in 2014. So far, I've been unlucky with the ladies, but in the next year, I plan to pursue a woman who speaks English and shares the same zip code. Liz says I'm depriving a village somewhere of an idiot, and Mom seems to think I'm self-absorbed, but neither of them are grappling with greatness, so what the hell do they know? I guess I need to put my priorities in order before I graduate high school, which means more meditation and less Asia Carrera videos. If I can be stealthy as ninja in jungle, then look for me to unearth the secret of my father's past and become warrior he always dreamed I'd become. Pro, this is my moment. I can feel it. Khan, didn't I say the same thing last year? <laughs> it's such appropriate timing for that list. Yeah, I was thinking about that when we started. It's like, oh. Shit. <laughs> this it, will come out probably right around right around. Right right so yeah, yeah, so you know I what I I tell you guys, start your own New Year's list. <laughs> Give it a try. And you know what's really sad, of course, is that he only gets to nine. I mean, yeah. he, he can't even make right. a top ten list. You know, <laughs> you kind of feel bad for the guy. You know, it's almost like he doesn't really know how to follow enough, through. How to follow through or that many people. So Until he shouldn't follow through like he did in, with the... With oh, the my God. That part that was, was so painful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, just the... But, again, it's that mixture. It's funny, but it's also tragic. And then, you know, when he calls his mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, that's funny, but it's also <clears throat> kind of emotional. There's, yeah. You know, I mean... When it's the... It's sort of that that turning point for him mm. at the novel too. I mean, this is definitely a Bildungsroman, you know, it's oh, yeah. this coming of age novel, this, uh, though it, you know, as opposed to like all of his formative years, it's sort of focused on this moment of crisis for him, yeah. you know, where he is having to go out in the world, having to integrate in society. And that's that, that turning point where he yeah. finally starts to say, all right, maybe, maybe I need to get shit together. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I really wanted to write a book that had a lot of strong female characters in it. Mm. And I think the the mother is a strong character, which I don't think you realize maybe until the end. Yeah. Which is something. And the, even the sister is a pretty good character. Yeah. And Melissa is somebody who turns yeah. out to be a, a really strong character. And uh, that was important to me, you know, to do that. So because I think the the mother is a little. You, unclear at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, she has a couple moments where she, like, at the beginning of that chapter that yeah. uh, you just, from what you just read, you know, it's, you uh, you see a little bit of the chinks in her armor and you realize, yeah. like, look, man, she's she's struggling too. And yeah. She's trying to help you, yeah. but it's hard for her because, that kind I mean, of, she's going through the same loss you are. That was kind of where so. she became a sympathetic character for me was <clears> in that, was, yeah. was in that scene. And I, and it, and it came, became clear later that it was all she could do to not go pick him up that night. That night yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was that was the turn, the turning point of the novel for sure. Well, uh, so I think I think we're coming down to where we need to uh, take our next break. But um, I, we should um we should uh, at least before we do that, and after we do that, we should do it for the remaining time that we have. Uh, Mention to people, the novel is Fairweather Ninjas by <laughs> Michael Howard. That's for sure. Uh, yes. It is <laughs> published by Lamar University. I believe you can probably order it through them. You can also get it through Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell, us, tell us all the places it's available. It's available on Amazon. It's available through Barnes & Noble, any online retailer. And it's also available through a Lamar University Literary Press as well. You can go right on there and order a copy from there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, And you can probably go into any bookstore and order it as well. Nice. Yeah. You know, I know Books a Million. You can order it online as well. Buy okay. it. It's yeah. worth it. Well, yeah. It's an excellent read. read. Yeah, and, and give it to your uh, your teenage nephew when he's 16. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or he's almost there. <laughs> almost there. Almost there. Order it this year. Yeah. And it, or if you, have, if you have a 10-year-old who's asking a lot of questions. <laughs> a precocious 10-year-old. <laughs> a precocious 10-year-old. You know, put, it's, a, it's a good stocking stuffer for the precocious 10-year-old. Mm -hmm. You know? Okay, Howie. You're a, you're a movie guy. Yeah. Yeah? I am. Uh, I like film. I teach film. What? So, Godfather or Goonies? Godfather. Godfather or Goodfellas? Goodfellas. 
Oh, okay. The third film. Goodfellas or Scarface? <laughs> Goodfellas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Scarface. <laughs> Not so great. Uh, okay. Uh, Tarantino or Scorsese? <sighs> Are we talking about just pure enjoyment of, of films overall? Or because, you know, Tarantino has a lot less films than Scorsese. Well, if you could live without seeing another film by one of these guys, which one, or hmm. which one would you eliminate from the equation if uh, if you had to eliminate one? That's a tough question because they're both great. I mean, they're both fantastic. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of both of them. In fact, both of them are in my probably top ten favorite directors. So you made wow. a top ten list. <laughs> Of directors. I'm assuming you made it to 10. Those are top three. I did make it to 10. <laughs> you know, top three, ew, I don't know. That'd be hard. Um, Spielberg's good. I like Martin Scorsese, Tarantino. I like a Chinese filmmaker named Zhang Yimou, who's really good. He did a movie called that. Hero. He's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, House of Flying Daggers. I mean, he's the guy's fantastic. Um, I like him a lot. I like James Cameron. I think James Cameron's great. Wow, we're, we're just going there. Aliens. Is one of my top five five favorite movies of all time, hands down. You know because it's such a great mix of genres. It's an action film. It's a horror film. It's a war film. It's a drama. Yeah. Like it successfully combines all. It's a military film. It successfully combines so many genres into one. And most films cannot do that effectively. But it's just about perfect. I think I just started a new podcast. <laughs> How he talks about movies. I would. I love to talk about movies. I mean, I can watch a Tarantino film all the time. His dialogue is is hypnotic. I mean, he's like somebody like David Mamet, where you listen. You could just walk in and not see the picture and just hear the dialogue, and you can tell immediately that it's Tarantino by the rhythm and the cadence. And so, that's one of the reasons why I think he's just brilliant. I mean, he's a good director, but I think he's a fantastic writer. So I I agree with that point, but he always loses me at some point. Every every movie. Yeah. It just and I recently watched Hateful Eight. Yeah. Same thing. Like I, it was, I was tracking along with it. It was going great, like the first ninety minutes, probably. Yeah. But then it was just there was one part, and it's just like, why'd you have to do that? You know, like it was, I, I was. It was when Samuel Jackson was telling the story. Was that it? Actually, no. Okay. Uh, maybe we should spoiler alert this <laughs> part. But it, it was with the the poison, the reaction to the poison. Oh yeah. Like it's it's a little over the top. It, exactly. It was yeah. like that. You know, I. He dies of poisoning. I get that. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. turn it into a, uh, a, a still and terrible shade of red or what? what? Yeah, still an awful red. <laughs> still an awful yeah, red, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Scorsese is fantastic, though. I mean, his, yeah, he's, he's really good. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I would say I'd probably say I, I, would, I would watch Scorsese because he has more films. So there's, you know, there's a lot more you can sample from. All right, fair enough. Let's take a break. All right, back in a minute. How was that? that was okay. Great. We're back. Hey, hey, welcome everyone to the Pub Hound Podcast, and uh, I'm Drew with Rich. Woo! Howie. Hello. I'm some sort of sponsor. Luke, <laughs> I think. Well, I don't think we've done a good enough job of sponsoring Luke. Either. Luke has not poured us a beer yet, we... so. <laughs> Touche. We're uh, shit on marketing tonight. We have Luke from Frosted Cakery, who is busy as hell until January, mm, so yeah. wait until January. Around the time this birthday. comes up. Do you have yeah, a card? So. Nah. No card. <laughs> they just beg The things. internet. And really We're on things. the internet. You should give out pieces of cake instead of cards. They just pull one out of your yeah. pocket and be like, here's a piece of cake. <laughs> cookies? Yeah. Cookies? Little, little I bet cookies. I could produce at least flour from my pockets. <laughs> Call it cookies. Yeah. Uh, like oh, it. You're open Call every cookies. Wednesday for retail Retail, business. 10 to 6, and you can... Call or email to place a custom order at any at time. At the corner of 2nd May and Joplin. Frosted Cakery. Living the dream. The Making dream. your dreams sort of come true. <laughs> I don't think we need to say anything else. I don't was, know, man. <laughs> you asked for a sugar. Sugar. That's all I've got. That's all I ask out of life. Lots of butter, lots of sugar going on in that place. <laughs> the two. Nice. I get like a last tango in Paris vibe from that, but it's fine. <laughs> a lot of buttery sugar. Mm. Jesus. <laughs> okay, well we're gonna we're gonna wrap this thing up with our last call segment. So um, I think 
I think I'm going to start us out this time. And my <coughs> last call is about an app that I recently discovered. And uh, it seems to be getting bigger every time I get on there. That's what she said. And <laughs> subtle. Phrasing. <laughs> so anyway, this, uh, this, this H, it's called HQ. It is a live stream I'm an HQ-er. trivia. I'm in. I'm in. HQD? All I'm right. In. I'm in. <laughs> Did you say HQD? Yeah, HQD. I'm out. I'm out. Let's get down Not, to the nitty nope. gritty. Nope. By, the, by, the time this, nope. by the time this podcast comes out, you're going to be an HQD too. I guarantee you. Actually, I claim you for the reference, <laughs> for the extra life. life. You get an extra life. You're all you, going to know what this means. By you the time will. You absolutely will. But every time you get on there, like the first time I got on there was 98,000 people. And then it gets bigger. And bigger. The last time I went on, or 300,000? 329,000 yeah. on that night that there was an 8,000. All right, price. so sell, sell so, t- tell about it. Okay, so this it's it's a live stream trivia where you it's set times a day. You get on your phone. It's only available for iPhones right mm-hmm. now. So maybe you won't. Be yeah, I'm out. I'm out. But they're developing. They're working on developing an Android <laughs> version. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, by the way. If it keeps growing it. How can you have that many people on one line? You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to have different servers, different hosts. Anyway, there's there's real cash prizes at the end of it. It's twelve questions, multiple choice. You have ten seconds to answer. If you get them all right, then you win a split of the prize. And what Luke said about the I claim you is if you send someone an invite and they use your referral code, then you get an extra life. So that means you can miss one question out of the twelve. Do you play against other people or no? Just yeah, you? yeah, everybody. Well, but you play against them. But if you both get all twelve questions right. There's no tiebreaker. You just split the prize. So, okay. so there's always like multiple. People Ninety winning. people are going to spend a thousand dollars. It yeah. goes into a cash, and then you can cash that after twenty bucks. You have to collect twenty bucks, and then you can cash. Is it that out. the way it works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't won. Yeah. Yet, what do they send so. you a check in the mail, or has it? Got to ten. No, I think there's Dude, probably a PayPal thing. I got to on Tuesday night. I I got to ten. Mm-hmm. I missed ten. But then I totally knew eleven and twelve, and I was like, "That's the worst." Ah, yeah, that's no, absolutely the worst. Do you still get something for that, or no? No, no, it's worth nothing. You have to get them all right, or oh. or if you have if you have the life, you can use one extra life in a round. But can I ask you a question? Yeah, have you tried to use Google yet? Yes. Ah! Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I successfully did it today. I'm 50-50 on it. I can but usually pull it up. how do you Google that fast if the well exactly you've got to like I, phone here, computer here. Yeah. And the, and then like if the if the info is not there, you look down. You have two seconds left. It's you're like just guessing. it's like yep. keyword typing in as fast as you can. Pick up something. Answer. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Probably yeah. not though. I'm and sure, I think they're getting I'm better sure. at phrasing their questions in a way yeah. that it's really hard to Google it and know what it now, is. Now, were you playing the other night when they had the mistake? Did you see uh, on it? the question? Yeah. Uh, no, I uh, no. I was uh, last night. Did you see the game was delayed by a half hour? Yeah, I did. Which actually allowed me to play because oh. I was playing trivia at a bar. And okay. Then, well, and then once <laughs> and then it popped. Did you get a notification? We, we we finished and then we got. Which yeah. bar did you play trivia? Old Chicago. Oh, you moved. Yeah, it used to be used to be elsewhere. Is it? It's trivia night. What what? Night? We won that one. Anyway, HQ. It's great. I it's love it. It's cool. I love it. Don't download it until someone sends you a referral. And uh, <clears throat> actually, just message one of us, and you know we'll that's we'll probably, take that that's probably the way to go. Yeah, that's sure. probably the way. To yeah. Go. So you guys gonna give out like your IDs so people can message you or? Uh, no, you can send your uh, you can send your request to uh, info at pubhoundpress.com, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh, and then we'll we'll figure it out. I see. Luke, maybe you want to. Yeah, do that's, that's kind of underhanded. Like you just took all the requests. Like, he did. Like Luke can't. That's okay. Uh, um, well, let me tell you, buddy. I will. I'll work it. I'll get mine. Um, sure, I've got. An, uh, I don't know. I'm in between two. One is it like kind of like something that's been bothering me for like a few weeks. Turn, yeah, turn, turn, please. Sorry, and the other is just a podcast I listen to. Do do them both. Do, yeah, all right, do here's it. a podcast. I listen to a podcast called True Crime Garage. And it just kind of talks about different murder cases. In a garage? And they are drinking beer in a garage. So, <laughs> Oh, the mur- I thought you meant the murders take place in No, a no, no. True Crime yeah. Garage. And I, I mean, like, it's definitely geared kind of towards guys. But uh, I like that they spend three episodes on the same case and kind of go through the timeline of the case. the Like, the kind of the turning points in the case. So, 
Um, and it does. I don't think it has like a huge following right do now. Do you think they do the conspiracy theorist thing too? Like they're in the garage and they've got like they all not. the information up on the wall with red yarn. I don't stretching. think so. They. I feel like they're pretty good at trying to be objective and just oh. say like they don't really say like well this is nonsense. You know what I mean? Like it's like they kind of go through the case, um, not super technically, but like you know they're they're giving you the pertinent details even if they're boring. Like so like I like that they're detailed. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Because, like, a lot of times you just get the shock, like, shut up. Like, those podcasts. Like, <laughs> right. where My Favorite Murder, which I love that podcast, but it is really two girls just going kind of like, no way. Like, it's just like, <laughs> that sounds really sexist. I don't care. That's what it is to me. <laughs> and I still listen. I'm actually going to that podcast on the live recording of it in Kansas City on Saturday. Oh, nice. Anyway, nice. this is what's been bothering me. I went to a city council meeting. Um, and I went, I'd gone to one um, for... Uh, the road diet proposal. I went to go speak my two I cents. I actually heard about that. Okay, yeah. So I went and I just said, hey, uh, there's no reason we need, we need to have a four-lane highway going down Main Street. No, agreed. No. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know. We're talking Main Street Joplin. Right, Main Street Joplin, Missouri. So, um, is that actually, are they seriously considering that? Well, it's, it is right now. It's a four-lane highway right now. So they're considering bringing it down to two lanes, putting in a couple bike lanes, putting in some more parking, making it more of a downtown yeah. versus a, a dead versus town a with a highway yeah. running through it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I know I'm biased. I don't, I don't mind that. I don't mind admitting it. But because, you know, I am a business on Main Street that stands to gain from higher foot traffic. But what I did is the next week when they were considering it again, I just wanted to show up. Just to kind because we sent me and my wife kind of sent a pretty strongly worded email to all the council members just saying, hey, just so you know, if you're not going to be sensible about this, we're going to be pretty vocal about who's going to be elected next time. Just so you know. <laughs> and it's not a threat. It's just, you know, if you can't, you know, even consider just a trial period of this, yeah. I, I don't know that we need you. Dude, you do I not mess with bakers. Yeah. We'll get you. We'll get you. <laughs> we'll put you in the oven. Anyway, so that that's not even what, what bothered me. Okay. And this is what happened. The next during that meeting, there was a general, three gentlemen that went up, and they were talking about Schiffer Decker Golf Course. And the city owns Schiffer Decker Golf Course, right? And um, what they were talking about is that there was a stench because there was some bad plumbing in a couple of the bathrooms, and that the golf the golf cart paths were really in disrepair, and that the the place is already losing money. And they were saying like, well, you know what we need is a few like. I don't remember the exact amount, fifty or sixty thousand dollars to redo the cart, the golf cart paths. Okay, at this golf course. Okay, um, and I'm listening to this, just thinking, God. And in front of me is Matt Stewart, the chief of police, and we have we're we're running at like seventy three percent staffed with our police force, right? And I'm listening to these people complain about their golf course that the city owns, that the taxpayers pay for, um, and I can see him shaking his head, going, "You've got to be kidding me, right?" Uh, and then it came up that over the next several years, they plan on spending tens of millions of dollars to redo the greens mm -hmm. in the city of Joplin. Okay. Um, and this is already, I'm just like, you guys got to be kidding me right now. Like, I'm like fuming at this point. I'm like, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not, I have no place to talk. So I'm just kind of like hanging out. So the next thing is this, this guy comes up and he's talking about paving roads. Okay. Well, I, I consider myself a fairly conservative guy. So I'm like paving roads. This is something the government should do. Maybe not own golf courses. Um, and he's talking about <laughs> paving roads. Cool. And uh, Melody Colbert Keene says, uh, "Well, hey, there's a there's a couple places, uh, some residents I know, and their streets are, are gravel in their neighborhoods, and it's 2017. And I was just thinking, <laughs> what would they need to do, you know, to get I don't know, uh, in the city limits here in town, not even like out the outskirts of town. What would they need to do to get a, a paved road?" And he was like. Well, there's some code in the, the that was written in the 1970s that says you know uh, the residents need to pay 50 percent of this, and they they can file a form here, and they can make a proposal here, and I was just like, I I was just want to jump in like, hey, uh, I'm sorry, do we just discuss repaving golf cart paths before we were repaving roads? Repaving roads here, like, but like, but he went through, and that was his legitimate answer. This is the guy that. Decides this in Joplin. He says, "Oh no, they need to do that." Was we that just got the done. Attorney? I don't remember who it was. Planner or no? I don't think it was the planner. The attorney. It right. may have been an attorney, but he says, "You know, you have to do this." And my whole thinking was, okay, so as a business owner in Joplin, if the city, because like what what the, what Schiffer Golf Court does, they they charge about ten dollars less in green fees 
than everybody else to compete. And they lose money. They're in the red all the time. I just thought, if the city opened up a bakery five blocks from me and undercut me in prices, because we have golf courses in town that aren't owned by the city, who pay sales taxes that fund the golf course that undercuts them and their greens fees, right? So if we're like if they had opened up a bakery and charged 50% less for cupcakes and my sales tax dollars were going to that, I would burn the city to the ground. Do you understand? <laughs> it would be over for them in a big way. It would be over. And I just thought, I'm going to go insane. And it just made me think, well, I'm not going to run for city council because I'm going to probably just shout the whole time. But I'm definitely going to try to find some people who can get in here and not do this. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? What What, what are your thoughts on the city owning a golf <laughs> Course, course that is funded by the sales tax dollars of its competitors. You understand? Like, well, yeah, that's a, that's a really that's an interesting point. I mean, it's it's is it a? I guess the discussion is. I guess it depends on what is your it a public, is. Is it a public service? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. If your handicap is really bad, then maybe it is a public service. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I mean, I understand why. You're frustrated. I'd be. Yeah, I can't. Un- I can't understand it. I can't understand. I wouldn't. I would not fathom a city-run bakery that was undercutting me that I was funding. I could, wouldn't do it. I wouldn't stand for it. So I just think like, do these golf courses around here just like, man, whatever? They're not taking that much money, or and only that, it's running in the red. It loses us money every year. And like, city works. It's going to lose you money. Park's going to lose you money. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend... It's, it's, it's a quality of life situation, Is that right? the one that has the water park near it and everything like that, too? Or? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. I just want to hear your thoughts on it because it's been bothering me for a few weeks. Well, honestly, I haven't thought about it that deeply. Not not in the same sure. way that you have because of... Because, yeah. Right. Well... Well, I mean, I don't know. The, the city's company, not about so. to open up a publishing company. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I don't know. It, is, it just kind of... Falls into the reason why Joplin deserves worse. I don't know. Like <laughs> recently, somebody, you know, picked up one of our books, and he's like Joplin, and he saw like uh, we picked up our, our copy of Muddled, which was uh, written by Jura and I, and the the inscription for it is you know well it's dedicated to Joplin. It says you deserve better because it does, and you deserve worse because it does. And this is one of those examples why. Joplin deserves worse because, you know, there's a lot of really great things going on in this town, but it's also run by a bunch of provincial fuckholes. <laughs> well, but the, I mean, the, you, you, we can say that, but what town is going to be different? I mm-hmm. mean, city municipalities own golf yeah. courses all over the country mm-hmm. and presumably all over the world. I don't know how it works in other countries, but I imagine it's, a class, I imagine it's similar. It's a class structure. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I did pick up that three of these city council members definitely play at that golf course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was an observation. Maybe not directed, directly what did related. What did they say? Did they say anything? Uh, they seemed to see have... They were fine compartmentalizing into, yes, golf course needs new paths. No, citizens, No, these people do not need roads. a road. You don't you need, need a road. Roads. They seemed fine with it, and I felt like I was taking crazy pills. Like, <laughs> it's like, is anyone else listening to this? Like, and I'm like, I'm looking around the room. It's like, no one is putting those two things together. No, I don't think anyone was, because that guy was going on forever about the golf course, and I think most people t- tuned out. And I was just listening to the numbers saying, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would I? Why I don't want to pay for those greens. I don't want to pay for them. That sounds like a private enterprise to me. Well, and it, and if it were to be, if it were run as a private enterprise, then the greens fees would be much more expensive. Mm-hmm. And and then you just have to ask yourself, well, how is how important is it to our society that we have access to golf? Because those those people that can't afford to pay the greens fees at uh, or just Rangeline Golf Center. What percent? Let me just right. Well, I'm <laughs> saying I'm saying like what percentage of our population can afford a decent set of golf clubs? Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. Not. I wouldn't say it's very high. Depends on where you draw the line. At sure. Decent. Okay. Uh, my lo- I bet my line's pretty low. I kind of yeah. feel like we should yeah. start with roads, regardless. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Or police. Uh, police. Police. Well, no, yeah. no, I just I, feel yeah. you know. Not, I just feel like there are more pressing. Not yeah. disagreeing. Anyway, yeah. I'm done. Richard. <laughs> what was the middle thing? part again? <laughs> I don't think I could tell you. Nope, Luke's done. Richard. Sorry. Uh, I think it took way too much was, time. That was good, though. I've, I've had shoes on my mind. 
Okay. Like, you know, the type that you find abandoned on the side of a road. Should you have those on your feet? Yeah. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Ring him up. Ding. Got him. I'll be here all uh, week. <laughs> is this going to seg into something about a hobo? No, no, no hobos. I, at least that would explain some things. But, you know, like, you're driving down the road. Eyes kind of wander if you've been driving for a while. Then you see, like, on the side of the highway, just, like, a shoe. It's always just, like, one. Hanging it's always out. Just one. It's not always one. I no. mean, uh, a couple months ago, I was on my way home from Stringfield on 44, and I saw my dad and I were driving home, and we just saw, like, a ton of shoes. And, you know, you look at it, and you think, well, yeah, this is, um, somebody was moving, a box fell out, who knows where the box is, and there's all these shoes strewn across the highway. Today, Dude, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a discard. Some guys have all really? the luck. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it is luck. Like, I do find it is luck. Like, I, I think of, you know, Heidegger, and, you know, it's like you don't notice a tool until it's broken. You don't notice a shoe until it's on the fucking side of the highway. <laughs> um, and then you, you you have all these weird narratives running through your head. Today, I saw a pair of matching shoes um, on the side of 171 as I was coming up to Joplin to go to work. What size they were, were they? Uh... I don't know. I didn't stop and look. Oh, okay. They were this big. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners. The story was almost there. They were there. this big. <laughs> this is my bad. Uh, yeah. but there were two, two pair, these two shoes matching side by side on the side of the highway. It's like, does somebody just place these here? You know, hoping somebody would notice and go, what the fuck is going on? They were starting was to somebody abducted? Um, <laughs> and even when it is one shoe... Like, you know, you, you wonder how it is that it's just one shoe. Well, is there some yeah, yeah, some like, rube out there wandering around, like wondering why? I see. I see the one. Why one, one foot is warm thing. and dry, and one is wet and cold and sore, and I just see shoes along the sides of the roads all the time, and that's that's what's that's what's on my mind tonight is shoes on the side of the road. Okay. Huh. All right. Like it. Yeah, yours is better. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I've been thinking about a really interesting and important question. Um, I'd like to hear what you guys think about it. If you take a muffin Mm -hmm. and you put frosting on it, is it a cupcake? No. Why? I've heard this argument from several people that if you put frosting on a muffin, it suddenly becomes a cupcake. If you... Have a hat. Yeah. Can't put a mustache or a lipstick and, on a pig. And you right? take your hat and you place that hat on a dog. Is it now a human? No. Okay. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I agree. Different, different I ingredients. Agree. Different ingredients. Saying. Different ingredients. Okay. One is cake. The other is muffin. I can't remember. I, I don't have bullets in front of me. I don't know what they are. Yes. <laughs> the, yes. It's a cup. I agree. I sure. agree. That cupcake and a muffin are very different. That can't be your thing, man. What's your actual thing? What's your real thing? <laughs> <laughs> You're a doctor, man. You know? So judgmental. It is a little judgy. It was well, a little judgy. I, I will tell you, um, it, I don't really have a question necessarily, but I will say that I've been reading a lot of Irish literature lately, which I like, because I am taking 18 students to Ireland in May. Oh, oh that's you, exciting. You've done that before, right? Huh? Yeah, this will be my third time. <clears throat> nice. And I'm going with uh, Rachel Stanley, who is the assistant director of oh. the honors program. And we are team teaching a class in the spring semester called Literary Dublin. <clears throat> so we're going to be reading plays, um, some novels, uh, poetry, short stories, and we're going to look at Irish culture and Irish history. So... As we've begun working on putting together the syllabus for that class, one of the things I've been doing the past few weeks is is reading a lot of Irish literature about the history and the culture, and it's just it's fascinating. I mean, I highly recommend it. I read a great I'm reading a great book called Ireland by Frank Delaney, which is a it's a fictional story about a young boy who meets a storyteller, and the storyteller tells him these stories about Ireland's history in each chapter is based on an actual event in Irish history. Oh, cool. So it's a great way to learn about Irish history without having to read a boring textbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's all sorts of stuff in there about the Troubles and the politics with the you know Protestants and the Catholics and St. Patrick. and Really interesting. You no, know, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So uh, that's kind of what I've been reading the last couple of weeks and what I'm hoping to read a little bit more of over the winter break. Uh, there's a great book called McCarthy's Bar. I would recommend. It's a collection of nonfiction essays about a guy named McCarthy who travels to bars in Ireland that have his name 
<laughs> Isn't there a McCarthy's in Pittsburgh? Yeah, and he is, it's it's hilarious because he, he you know he interacts and mingles with the people and talks about the countryside and how beautiful it is and social customs and it's really funny. That sounds yeah. That sounds awesome. That that also I, I believe marks two of our three episodes so far that ended discussing uh, Ireland or yeah. or at least the uh, British, true. the British Isles. That's that's weird. So. <laughs> there must be something in the water. <laughs> or the beer. Oh. Uh, well, there's definitely something in the beer. So, uh, Lord willing. Thanks, guys, for coming. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Pubhound Podcast was produced and edited by Pubhound Press with music by Dan O'Connor and sounds from Creative Commons. Complete credits can be found on our website, pubhoundpress.com.